Open to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We are uh, continuing our summer series on God's view of the church, God's plan for the church, right? We've learned it's his church. And we've learned, we said it earlier, that the church is made up of people, right? It's not just an organization. It's not just something you go to. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you've been born again into the family of God, you are the church. So even though we went to a place, all of us went to 1290 Grand this morning, uh, you went to a place that you can appropriately call church. But I, I wonder how many of you came today with the, just as much of a real, real sense that you are the church. You are the church. In fact, when we dismiss, you still are the church. You still are the church. And so we, we've been trying to understand God's plan for the church because that's, that's ultimately what brings him the most glory, what, what ultimately fulfills his will for us corporately and us individually. And, and we understand that because the church is made up of people in the sanctification process, that the church as a whole is imperfect because the church is made up of imperfect people, right? And, and that's a challenge. That's a challenge uh, for many of us because we can often come into a church with a pretty critical, you know, mindset. We can come into church with expectations. We can come into church with maybe a list of, well, meet this, meet this, meet this, and then maybe we'll decide to stay, right? And, and all the while we forget that the church is made up of imperfect people in process, right? And that you are a part of that. You are a part of that. And so uh, if we're going to be the church, uh, foundational to that is, you know, 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. The church is a pillar and foundation of truth, right? And that means more than just the church has a doctrinal statement, has a statement of faith. We have all of that. But when, the, when he says in Timothy that, that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth, it means that we, by our lives, hopefully live lives consistent with that truth. If, if, if we're going to be a pillar and foundation of truth as the church, as the people of God, well, then our lives should be consistent with that truth, with that truth. And we've looked in the weeks past about walking in truth and what does that mean, right? And in Thessalonians, this church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul gives them great props. And we've seen this the last couple of Sundays. He says, hey, man, I am so blessed by you guys at Thessalonica. Your testimony has gone out to the, to the region. People are speaking so highly of you. And I'm like, man, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. How, do, how is that church operating, right? What kind of children's programs do they have? You know, it has nothing to do with the programming, Right? And we've seen, we've camped on this verse in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Look at this. This is this key verse. It says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Right? And we have spent 
the last couple of weeks looking at this, 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 this distinction, which is absolutely crucial. If, if we at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, if we at the well are going to be that church that honors God and, and is faithful to him, we have to hear, just like it says in verse 15, not only receive it, but accept it. And we shared last week, see right now, that word receive, again, is something transmitted. Some content is being transmitted. So right now, everyone in this room, if you're paying attention and you're kind of zoned in a little bit, you are receiving a transmitted message. If you're listening at home, online, welcome. You are receiving something transmitted via the Internet right now. Right? So there's content being transmitted if at all you're interested in what's being said, you're receiving it. Some of you are taking notes. Some of you want to understand it. It's content-oriented. But you're choosing to receive the content. Okay? The difference, though, is it says here, they received the word of God, which you heard from it. It says, you accepted it. The difference between people in this room, when we say, ready, break, and you go home, is whether or not you accepted it. See, we can all receive it. We can all leave here with the base understanding of the objective content that was, that was taught. Okay? The real difference in my life and in your life is whether or not you're accepting it. And that's a powerful word. Dekomai. It means to put out the welcome mat. It's hospitality. It's someone coming to the door and you like, come on in. Take a seat. Let's talk. How you doing? Come on in. That distinction between receiving it in my ears and accepting God's word in my heart makes all the difference in your transformation. All the difference. And sometimes you wonder, gosh, you know, so-and-so or myself or so-and-so has been in church for a real long time, but it doesn't seem to be making a difference, right? Uh, in years past, we used to do sermon notes on half sheets, right? And, and my brother Mike over there, yeah, he was gracious enough one time he showed me his stack of half sheets of sermon notes that he accumulated over the years. They were like three inches thick of sermon notes. Now, you would think, and this is not on Mike, but this is just an example we've used in the past. You would think three inches of sermon notes, someone would be like almost walking on water. If they were like taking it, applying it, appropriating it, right? How is it that we can give out over the years three inches, now it's probably six inches worth of sermon notes, and it not make a difference? Well, the issue, see, the issue, well, this is very important. The issue is the sermon notes, you received it, you filled in the blanks. You filled in the blanks. You received six inches of sermon notes. How much did you accept? One sheet, maybe? See, that's, that's the distinction. That's the distinction. We had a... We had a marriage series, right? Sacred marriage. And I told them, we, it's a, it was a great video series, great teaching. 
we did half sheet notes and questions. And you know what I told them? I said, hey guys, this is going to be great and we're going to enjoy an hour, hour and a half of fellowship. But if this is going to make any difference, it's what you do when you leave here. And what I was kind of saying was, you know what, you can receive the outline and you can receive and understand what the guy on the video is talking about in there. But if you don't accept it for your marriage, it's not going to make a difference because you don't accept it. You're not welcoming it in. You're not welcoming it in. And last Sunday, if you were here, I shared with you a bit of my story. You know, and I know many of you were, were, were blessed by that. And, and I shared that with you because I wanted you to understand that I get that the church is made up of imperfect people in sanctification. Right? And sometimes I understand, you know, you get the worship team up here, you get the guy behind here, and you're like, oh, that guy got it all together. This is easy for him. This must just come so easy. Right? <coughs> no? And, and if you weren't here last week, I, I shared my story about a year or two be, before I uh, came to the Lord. I was a student at uh, UCLA and uh, grew up one of those very controlling, hyper-independent, successful, only got one B in my life, AP, honor students, take calculus, it's zero period, driven, right, accepted to USC and UCLA, chose UCLA, right? Got, I got a call from uh, a D3 football coach. I wasn't even a believer, but I got a call from Wheaton College. Isn't that pretty ironic? I got a call from Wheaton College in senior in high school. Coach wanted me to come play. So I was like, I had, you know, all together. On my way to becoming a lawyer, right? Except for the fact that on my way back to school one, one night, I stopped at uh, McDonald's on Pico Avenue there in San Juan Capistrano and just normal routine. And on the way back to UCLA, I had what I realized was a panic attack. And from that night forward, everything that I knew and this hard-driving, type-A, performance-driven, success-driven person utterly became engulfed and consumed with fear and anxiety and behaviors designed to minimize fear and anxiety to the point where I literally thought, like I shared last week, if someone was following me around, they probably would think that this guy needs to needs to be committed somewhere. 15-minute drive, what was supposed to be a 15-minute drive from my apartment to UCLA turned into an hour just because I had to repeat things over and over to try to get the anxiety level down. Absolutely consumed. My mind just, right? Something switched. Something broke. And it was in that condition that I, I developed ways to cope. became really good at hiding it from family, friends, with shame and guilt. And, you know, there's no way I'm going to seek help. Help's for weaklings. I can deal with this. Right? And so it was my own prison, my own bondage. And in my testimony, just the stories, you know, I, I, I grew up in the church in the Roman Catholic tradition. Uh, but I met my wife. She invites me into a Bible study. I begin to read scripture for myself and ultimately put my faith in Christ. 
and suddenly, suddenly I, I'm confronted, okay, because I have this, this lifestyle that seems to work for me. It's dysfunctional and completely unhealthy, but it works. I, I get through the day completely exhausted, completely isolated, not telling anybody anything about really what's going on, but it, quote unquote, works. I'm still getting grades, still applying to law school, but it works. And then I come to meet Jesus. And I start reading scripture. And receiving messages, sermons, Bible studies, right? And then I'm confronted with truths about who I am in Christ, truths about who God is, truths about worry and fear and anxiety, biblically. And you know what? I had to make a choice. Was I going to continue down the path that I had mapped out that worked? Or was I going to stop and accept appropriate, believe what I say I believe about who I am in this situation. See, it's very real. It's very real. When, when, when your life is so far out there and, and, and very uncomfortable all the time, church isn't a game. This is either what it is or it's not. It's not it's not something that you can just dismiss as, as, oh, that's good for you, but not good for you. When, when you're out there, when you're out there and you're just trying to like, okay, are you, uh, many times I'll be, are you kidding me? Is this legit? Are you serious? Is this, is this really true? Is this really, really true? And, and what was happening was I was become, being confronted with the truth and authority of Scripture versus my own life and my own kingdom. What works for me? And because of the nature of my situation, there was no gray. It was either true or it wasn't. And I got to tell you, working through that was terrifying. Working through that was uncomfortable. Working through that was unpleasant. And we're going to look at that today and, and maybe why... Uh, you're having a hard time with this receiving and accepting. And if you are, I get it. I get it. Every day, I still am challenged with, do you accept it? Are you going to walk in it? Do you believe it? Right? Is it true? Or going back to the flesh and what I think and my own understanding. Right? It is so important that we settle this issue of, of receiving versus accepting, understanding God's word for what it it, it is in this weird tension. And ultimately, if you don't resolve that, it's not that it's unresolved. It's just that you still choose to be the boss. You're still the authority. And, and I've shown this video uh, several times when we were at the Wesleyan Church, and I thought, you know what? This, this, this is just a great picture of what can happen when we don't accept God's word. The whole of it, right? Second Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed. 
Peter says, you know what, it wasn't the word of men, it was men's focus. God read the man's whole spirit. This is what can happen in one sense. There's a great word picture of my life, your life, our relationship to Scripture when we're not so sure we want to accept it all. In Thessalonians, it says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So maybe this morning, in your sanctification process, in your relationship with Jesus, maybe the first step is you need to really settle the issue. What do you really believe about this? Is it really God's word? And if you say it is, then what does that do with the authority issue? What's who or what is the real authority in your life then? And 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 in in your notes, if you notice, man, this is like full sermon notes, right? I just put questions there because this journey that I'm on has been on with Jesus for like 25 years. 25 years. But these are real questions. If you're really desiring to, 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 to walk and, and, and see God do things in you and through you, transform you, set you free, you've got to settle some of these core issues. And one of the core issues, even in the church, is do you really believe what you say you believe about this? You've got to settle that issue. And that's why I'm so excited about Bill's study. The beginning of October. The topic is... The Bible. Right? If you were with us before, we had a summer series. Now, that's a good question. And I'm pretty sure at some point, maybe the first, the first night, he's going to hand out slips of paper. And he's going to say, if you have a question about the Bible, write it down. Because that's what our Tuesday nights are designed. For you to put your hand up, for you to write it down and say, what about? What about? And where did we get this? And why is there 66? And why does St. Thomas Aquinas have more books in it? And what's with all these NIV, NLT, NKJV, MSG? I mean, what? Where do we get all these versions, right? And, and, right? Because sometimes even in the church, here's the truth. You haven't settled the issue. Either you didn't know you were allowed to ask. Or you just bought into what mom and dad said, but you never settled it. You don't have a conviction of your own. And so because that's not settled, the way you choose to accept it is unsettled. So in October, and for as long as it takes, because we're not in a rush around here, we're going to look at this thing called the Bible. Is it really God's word? What does it mean it's an errant? How did we even get it? Because see, if you're not settled, A, not only affects your, your obedience issues, it affects your openness and your, your, your susceptibility to false teaching. Suddenly you pick up a book by some famous author who asks a whole bunch of questions and puts you in a tailspin because now you don't even know anymore. You thought you knew. And now you're in this tailspin, and you're opened up to all this false doctrine, and you start getting your Sharpie out. Yeah, I don't like H-E double sticks either. 
right? The implications are huge if you haven't settled what you really believe about this. So in this walk of, of, of transformation, that might be step one. Where are you with, with this? You can receive it. This isn't rocket science. And like I, showed, like I told you before, I can show you my resources. I can point you to websites to help you receive more messages. Some of you listen. How many of you listen to Christian radio sermons? You receive messages, right? Nothing wrong with that. How many of you read Christian books? You receive messages, right? Nothing wrong with that. Are you accepting it? Maybe the issue is, okay, yeah, he's entertaining. Yeah, he makes me laugh. But I don't know about this God's word being the authority in my life thing. You got to settle that issue. You got to settle that issue. And this morning, I'm just going to put things out to you. Maybe it'll, maybe it's where you're at. Maybe you've settled it. That's great. But it's a process. It is a process. Okay? Turn to James. Book of James. And we're going to look at a verse, a passage here that will help some of us also maybe understand ourselves this morning. Why do we have a hard time accepting God's word? Not receiving it. We get the objective content. But why are we challenged with accepting God's word, welcoming it into our life joyfully? James 1, verse 18. James 1, verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness, the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept, same word, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I start in verse 18, and I read all the way through there, because when you come to the Bible, you you have to understand context. And the context of this, there's... There's a word called pericope. Everyone say pericope, right? Pericope is a passage of scripture, right? You can look at like a paragraph, but it's called a pericope. And in this pericope, the context is speaking about God's word. Very important because there's a verse in here that we're going to look at that is used so much out of context. Okay? And it's verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Anyone ever hear that verse before? Common verse. What is its typical application? Human relationships. Right? How many of you ever heard that applied just to human relationships? Well, in your marriage. Right? In your marriage. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Most of us have only heard that verse in the context of human relationships. 
it might have that application. But the truth be known, the context is speaking about our relationship to God's word. This is about my relationship and your relationship to God's word. How we receive it changes everything, doesn't it? Right? So we're going to look at this and we're just going to ask some questions. The questions in your sermon notes, take them with you and work through them for the rest of your life. It says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, where it says should, right, where it says should be, I'm going to help you out with, the, with, the, with some translation here. That is not a suggestion. Should be actually means must be. It's a command. So if, you want, if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, you might want to put must. It's a continual, habitual practice, right? So it's not just a suggestion, hey, if you feel like it, when you get around to it, maybe kind of, sort of. It's not a suggestion. Sometimes we like should, we take shoulds as suggestions. It's not. It's a command. So we are commanded to be quick to listen. What does that mean in the context? We should have an eagerness and a readiness to receive God's word. Quick to listen, Right? Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Psalm 119.103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Uh, Verse 129, your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. Ah! Is that how you feel about God's word? Are you quick to listen to it? Do you, do you, do you crave it like honey and, and everything? Is it wonderful, right? I love this. <laughs> Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. Mm. I kind of grew up obeying his statutes, so I didn't get in trouble. I never connected the word wonderful and obedience. Right? Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. You know, I'm like, Really? People do that. You can see, you can be eager for God's word like that. I do, I, I, okay, let me show on that. Here's an illustration. Here's an illustration. Let's say, I said this, okay, guys, out in this field behind me, there's a treasure chest. There's a treasure chest. And in this treasure chest, if you find it, all your debts will be paid off. mortgage, your student loans, your car loans, right? Not only will it be paid off, but you have unlimited financial resources for the rest of your life. Now, I'm going to give you directions to find it. You ready? Everybody is like this now. Huh? Huh? If I was giving you directions to a hidden treasure that would solve all your financial woes and all your woes out there, I'm pretty sure I got to film this, take my phone out. You would be like into it. You'd be like, all right, let's go. What do you say? Ten steps, what? Go to the tree and turn, they say right or left, right? And you would be just into this, like, how do I, I, I want to find this treasure. That's being quick to listen to God's word. That's, that's being quick to listen to God's word. The key to acceptance. 
That's key to accepting, right? And then in James, it says this. Slow to speak. Now, in one, in one application, it means be very careful if you're going to be a teacher. Scripture says not many of you should be teachers. There's a higher accountability. If you're going to open your mouth, you better be rightly dividing it. There's huge accountability. But the other, the other application here, being slow to speak, is when you receive a message, are you hasty and impulsive in your opinion about it? In your analysis, and whether or not you liked it or didn't like it, right? Being slow to speak is restraining yourself from hasty reactions, allowing time for thoughtful consideration. So if we're going to not just receive an objective message, we ought to be slow to speak. But see, that's not the culture that you and I live in because you read a news story and you just hit the comment section. Boom. You go on Facebook. Boom. And everyone just thumbs up and thumbs down and gives your opinion immediately without sometimes even thinking through the issue. That's the culture we live in. Opinion, 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 opinion. Don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. Problem with that is that's not why God's word was given. God's, God doesn't give us his word to seek your opinion on it. God doesn't give us his word to wonder how many likes he got. Right? I mean, imagine if you're God and, and how he feels about the different verses that get likes and dislikes. <laughs> right? But that's what we do. We hear something at church. We hear something on the radio. Bah! disagree with that and we're that fast we don't consider it we don't we don't put it in context of our own life we don't even give it time to sink from here to here we just react we just react right then he says here slow to become angry Now, I get that in the human context, but what does it mean slow to become angry about receiving God's word? You ever come across a passage of scripture that kind of exposes something in your life and you didn't really like it? In fact, it kind of ticked you off and you got kind of angry and you started to resent it. what he's talking about slow to being angry speaks to us who want to argue about we want to argue with God about what he says we resent it he's angry who's who does he think he is and, and the challenging part of what I'm called to do is I often bear the brunt of your anger. I'm just a messenger. I get that. You know, I get that. That's why I called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. You know, if you look through scripture, God's mouthpieces generally don't live very <laughs> happy lives. 
Because as God's messengers, they're speaking God's truth, and the anger and resentment of the people are taken out on the messenger repeatedly throughout Scripture. I get that. Yeah, not fun. Not fun. No one likes to be called a legalist. No one likes to be called, oh, you're one of them. And I just want to say... this morning maybe you're angry maybe you're resenting God's grace right question I'm putting there question and then in verse 21 it says therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you Get rid of all moral filth. It's the word picture is taking off a dirty garment. Taking off a dirty garment. Or, here's another one that's interesting. And one of my kids will really appreciate this. Where it says, um, get rid of moral filth and the evil. That putting off process, it actually kind of also means take the earwax out of your ear. So you can hear. Right? So there's, there's, there's confession. There's putting off sinful behaviors, okay? That can be affecting your acceptance of God's word. And then he says, humbly accept. Humbly accept. There's a quote I found from another pastor. He says this, One simply cannot find joy and satisfaction in the word of God if it is always speaking conviction to one's lifestyle. It can't happen. As a matter of fact, I have long thought that most people who claim to have intellectual problems with the Bible don't have any such thing. They have moral problems with it. If you knew what was going on in their lives, you would realize quickly that their beliefs and their behavior just couldn't coexist. So they jettisoned their beliefs and continued their behavior. Right? Something's got to give. What are you saying? Something's got to give. Are you at a place of humbly accepting? Humbly accepting. And that word humbly means being teachable. Submissive and teachable. Jesus talks about receiving the kingdom as a little child. Where you're you're willing just to accept it at face value. Or any time it comes up, oh, you want to argue, you want to hyperanalyze it. Yeah, you know, anybody ever have a child that just kept asking why? To the point where you just said, can you please just accept what I'm telling you? Anyone? You just wanted them to accept that I'm not lying. I'm telling you what's in your interest. Just accept it. Anyone? That's what we're talking about for us in relationship to God. Humbly accept it, right? But it's an issue of the will. It's an issue of the will. Turn to Matthew 11. Look at Matthew 11 real quick. In Matthew 11, Jesus, he does some teaching about John the Baptist and his relationship to Elijah. 
And many of the Jews thought that Elijah was going to come back reincarnated, right? And Jesus is like, you know, John the Baptist, he kind of came back as Elijah in terms of his ministry and everything like that. And he knew that this teaching was contrary to what the Jews expected, that the Jews had been taught. And in Matthew eleven sixteen, 16, uh, let's actually go back to verse 14, right? So he's talking about Elijah and John the Baptist. And then Jesus says this in Matthew eleven fourteen, 14. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He's talking about John the Baptist. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So accepting is an issue of the will. And sometimes the challenge is it's contrary to what we thought. It's not what we were taught. It's not what I heard. Right? And then he says this. Look at verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. You know what he's saying here? Here's the illustration. Because he's talking about a willing heart. And he says this. Hey, you know what? At the farmer's market, that he's talking about, there's a place like the farmer's market. And the kids would hang out. And they would play these games. One game was called wedding, and one game was called funeral. And they would play these songs. So the illustration is they're playing wedding and funeral. And part of them are, are, are playing instruments enough. And there's other of their friends. And their friends are like this. And they're like, come on, dance. No. Come on, do, do, let's, let's do the wedding. We're playing the wedding song. Do the wedding dance. No. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. Anyone ever have a kid do that? Anyone ever have to deal with someone who just didn't want to because they just didn't feel like it? That's the picture here. Jesus says, this generation, there's no pleasing them. There's no pleasing them. They're like kids who have their arms crossed and like, you can't make me. I don't want to play. That's what he, I don't want to play. Come on, it's going to be fun. How many of you have ever tried to convince your child that something was going to be fun? It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be your friends are going to be there. You're going to have a good time. What is it? No. I don't want to go. Why not? Because I don't want to. That's what he's talking about. He's, that's, he's talking about the issue of the heart. Some of us, when it comes to God's will and accepting it, we just don't want to. No. I don't want to. I don't want to. So it's the issue of the will, right? And then in James, he goes into this passage. He says, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Right? You've heard this has been a key passage for us for seven years here. Hearing and doing. Right? Let me explain something to you. In the Hebrew culture, hearing and obeying were one thing. The word is Shema. Everyone say Shema. Right? Deuteronomy 6. The Shema. Hear and love. Hearing and obeying were inseparable. There's no separate word in the Hebrew language for obey. Hear and obey are the same word. What's the word? Shema. Right? Shema. Right? To, they say to hear is to obey. There was an expectation. What you hear, you're going to act upon. That's the Hebrew culture. 
the Greek culture elevated, with all the philosophers, elevated the mind and de-elevated the physical body. They separated it in Greece. Greek elevated the intellect and minimized the physical body. Are we more Greek or Hebrew? The Hebrew said, my life reflects what comes through the mind and the heart and comes out in the hands. That was Hebrew. It's all one. Hearing and obeying are all one. Greek says, ah, it's it's just mental. What really matters is just what you think. And they created this separation. And that distinction, that division has wreaked havoc in the church. Because we come to church with a Greek mindset. Let me hear something. Let me understand something. And that was good enough. And yet in James, look at James 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You know what that word deceive is? Delude. Self-deception. See, now you understand the context. When James says this, he's speaking from the Hebrew mindset. So he's like, you know what? If you come and you have created a hearing and doing split, you're deluded. Self-deluded. You are deceiving yourself. Because in the Hebrew mindset, it doesn't exist. There is no separation between the two. Hearing and doing are one. To hear is to obey. So, am I deluding myself? Are you deluding yourself? Are you deceiving yourself? Is this plenty to sit through a sermon and take notes and call it good? Because that's kind of Greek. That's the Greek mindset. To hear is to obey. Let's put a question mark, right? Just a question. Just a question. And, and if you've been with me before, you know I love to bring this out. Because he talks about a mirror. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Anyone? Who? who? Oh, come on, honestly, you all did. You didn't wake up like that. You did not wake up like that. So you looked in the mirror this morning. Oh, everyone's sitting up now. Look at this. Everyone. You looked in the mirror this morning, right? Right? What did your mirror say? Okay, oh my gosh. Your mirror said, oh my gosh. What did your mirror say? Do your hair. Do your hair, right? Your mirror is talking. Your mirror is talking to you. Your mirror said something to you this morning. How do I know? Because you didn't wake up like that. Right? Your mirror said something to you. How many of you are thankful you have a mirror? How many of you use that glass door as a mirror at times? How many of you use your car door windows as a mirror? How many of you are at the mall? Come on, come on, be honest. You do it all the time, school. You ever do this like where you thought there was no one on the other side and you're doing this and you go, oh my gosh, there's someone looking at me, right, because it was blacked out? How many of you generally feel good about your mirrors? Positive. Not what they say, but you're positive like you're, you're thankful you have one. Who's thankful you have one? So you have a positive vibe. You're thankful. What is a mirror designed to do? Show you your, show yourself imperfections. 
It's a positive thing. The mirror reflecting your imperfections, you receive it as a great thing. Because no one wants to come to church with your eye boogers. Let's just be real. Right? No one's going to walk to church and say, oh, my gosh. Dude, you got something right here. Oh, man, yeah, I was really sleepy last night. You know, you get up and you find the mirror. You even probably, how many of you have one right by your door before you leave? How many of you checked your mirror in your, rear, in your car before you got out? We love mirrors. We want them to show us our imperfections before we go out into the world. And in fact, here's the crazy thing. We love mirrors so much that we magnify them. We want to get to the nitty gritty. Anyone at home have a magnifying mirror? Right? I have five daughters. Four daughters. Five women, four daughters. Yeah, that did sound right. Four daughters and one wife. Okay. There are five females in my house. It's amazing. They got one of these mirrors on the wall in the bathroom. This, like, normal one. And then this, like, telescope or whatever, magnifying thing. And then here's the crazy thing. They get this close. And I'm like, what are you looking at? There's a thing. I don't even see the thing. There's a thing, Dad. But we value it. Amen? Come on now. You see? And, 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 and all God is saying through his word is, this is, this is the same thing. It's not here to ruin your life. It's not here to lay a huge guilt trip on you. It's here to show you character and spiritual things that need to be addressed. And his heart is that you and I would welcome it, would delight in it, as much as we do having one in the mirror. And uh, there's a statistic that said some people look in mirrors or reflections 60 to 70 times a day. It's not so bad if it was real. It's not so bad if it was real. Right? That's what he's saying in this passage. We live this every day. You're going to live this today. And so the challenge is next time you look in your mirror at home, think of this. And just ask yourself, where am I in this? And the receiving and accepting. Because I readily accept what this says. may not always be pleasant, but I readily and have a very good feeling about having a big mirror in my house. Not just here, but like this, right? I got one in my office. Check before I come in here. I'm so thankful for that. That's what it is. That's all it is. And then James says, it's the perfect law of liberty. It's freedom. It's freedom. And he says, those that do, that, that, that obey this will be blessed. Blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? Right? It's a spiritual prosperity, right? And finally, let's just close with this, Matthew 7. Turn to Matthew 7. And I'm going to read you this passage, which is kind of appropriate for what's happening in the country. And I hope you'll see the connection here. Matthew 7. Matthew 7:24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, hearing and doing, 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What's the difference between the two houses? Putting them into practice, hearing them boom, and you're blessed. You reap the blessing of that. 